0: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So good to have you. My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and and it is privileged to be here. We're starting, as you see, Ephesians, Death to Life. That's the journey that uh, this book is going to take us on and uh, we're really excited about this. Uh, One thing I want to share before we get into this morning is uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that our community group ministry, which is really, really important uh, to the body of this church, is going to be launching come October. Uh, For the last couple weeks, we've been meeting with our community group leaders, which has been just a sweet, sweet time. And uh, what we're going to do, actually, is we're going to push community group launch date till January 2022, which is... Sounds like so far away, 2022, but it's only a couple months. Uh, But what does that mean for you? So the reason for that is for continued training and ongoing training for our leaders and to develop just a strength and a foundation for our body. Uh, But what does that mean to you, one of those that are longing for community groups to be involved in community? Well, I've challenged our community group leaders that we're meeting with every Thursday, and I want to challenge you as well. And the challenge is to find someone that you don't really know well in this body right now so you can look around and invite them over for lunch, invite them for dinner, go grab a coffee with them and hear their story, pray for them and then find someone else next week. And so essentially what this is going to look like is our community, our body is going to act like many community groups spread out through the city every single week, so we're actually not going to miss a whole lot, but we're actually going to get to know one another really deeply. And so my encouragement is that that will take place, and my challenge is to you, uh, whether you do this or not, that's up to you, but you'll be a rebel, and you don't want to be a rebel, all right? So, so that, I want to encourage you, grab someone, invite them for lunch today, go grab some soup or sandwiches, and just listen to each other's story, and uh, get to know them well. Secondly, what we're going to do as well, not only just those mini community groups around uh, the city that are going to take place, which is going to be really exciting if we see each other at a coffee shop or whatever and just go, man, you're doing the same thing. This is awesome. Uh, But we're going to do church-wide events like we did last week. We did a huge barbecue, which was amazing. Okay, God opened the sky up. I'm not sure if you noticed, but when I was driving from Vancouver, it was like socked in. And I was like, hey, Lord, you know we're having a barbecue. Um, so And yet he opened the sky, praised the Lord for that, and he gave us amazing sun and just a fellowship, a sweet fellowship time with everybody after launch. And so I was thinking, why don't we do this more regularly as a church? And so October, we're, you're going to hear more about this uh, come the next couple of weeks. In October 30th, Saturday, we're going to rent this space and our community group leaders are going to actually put booths on for all the kids and we're going to have a ton of candy which is awesome. If you don't like candy, I don't know who you are, Um, but candy and games, and we're just gonna have a good time of fellowship and it's gonna be evangelistic. Um, And so we wanna invite our neighbors in and just invite them to see what we do as a community. And so that's kind of October, November, we're gonna do anything you can cook in a crock pot. I dare you, bring it, and then Sunday we're going to fellowship with lunch together in November and just play some board games, and I'm going to show you how I dominate you, all right? So that's kind of on November, and then December is going to be so fun, and it's going to be, we're going to do like a matinee movie here. We're going to get a projector screen and just bring your jammies. And there's change rooms. And we're going to just have a good time watching a movie together. So that's kind of what's coming. So we're going to do mini community groups. We're going to do church-wide events. We want to get to know you and share with you and love on you. And so that's what's going to happen in these next couple months. As well as I want to encourage, again, as Jordan already said, serve teams are a great way to get involved here at the church. And so if you want to get involved to set up, tear down whatever team you see, go to the website and check that out. All right, Ephesians. Now that's done. We had fun doing that. I know I did. Uh, so let's go to Ephesians 1. I'm going to read this text again. Sue did a great job reading. I'm just going to read it to get my mindset into these texts, into this text all over again. But let me read this for us. Again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we read in, uh, introductions like this and we go, man, I just can't wait to get to verse 3. But I don't know if you can see on there, on that. just hang, up on, hang tough on that slide, that I've highlighted a couple words on there. There's actually seven things that we're going to walk through today just because oftentimes when we go through intros, we go so fast that we miss things. And so today, as you intro a a sermon series, you want to intro a lot of things and get clarification, explanation, and definition. And some of these words you can see highlighted, and those are going to be Paul, Apostle, Christ Jesus, the will of God, Saints, Faithful, and Grace and Peace. So seven in total. I'm putting Grace and Peace together right at the end. So let's get started. Let me pray and get into the first one there. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for your amazing, amazing, amazing grace. As we were singing that song, Lord, you know my heart, it was blowing me away uh, of how much you love us, that you came from the heavens to come to the grave. You are too good for us, too good. We do not deserve your love, but yet you give it faithfully And so help us, Lord, um, pass that same love on faithfully to one another as we look at this text. And please speak to us this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's begin at Paul. Who is he? Well, if you're new to the Bible or to church, names come with background and meaning not all the time, but most of the time. So if you're taking notes, just put Paul, and here's going to be a whole bunch of point forms underneath there you can have. So Paul, the writer of this letter, is also known as Saul. I don't know about you, but when I was a young boy, I was, went to Sunday school all the time, uh, you know, a good Christian boy. I uh, went to Sunday school, but my Sunday school teacher actually taught that uh, he was Saul, and then upon conversion, he turned into Paul. Like his name had changed into Paul. Well, that's what I learned from uh, my Sunday school teacher. But when I started to read my Bible, more regularly, I noticed that my Sunday school teacher was wrong. <gasps> All right. So let's look at, I know Acts 13, 2 and verse 9. Let's take a look at Acts 13, 2 and verse 9. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Well, how in the world can Saul be set apart by the Holy Spirit if he's not yet saved? For the work to which I have called them. Well, here we go. But, Paul, but Saul, who was also called Paul, there we go. He had two names. All right, so this guy had two names. It's really interesting to know some of this. But uh, what I found in, the, in my study in this, Acts 13.9 is a pivotal point. And so understanding that Saul converted into Paul at the, his conversion is confusing because at Acts 13, 9 is everything after that, his name was Paul. Everything before that, his name was referred to as Saul. So it could be confusing, obviously, but there's this is often the reason for people to believe that change of Paul's name, uh, but actually... Many people did have two names in biblical times. You might know one of Jesus' favorite disciples, one of his disciples, Peter, his first name, uh, but also called Simon. Uh, We see that in scripture as well. But to spark your interest more regarding names in this regard, but the scripture tells us that when we enter into glory with Jesus, uh, we will get a new name as well. In Revelation 2.17, it says, to the one who conquers... I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a new white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, this is, should spark interest, should be exciting for us as we enter into and journey towards Jesus Christ and to eternal life with Him that we one day will get a new name. But now, now the two names of Paul are also symbolic for other reasons. Saul is referred to as both Jewish and as a Roman citizen. And so we see this in Acts 22, it says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. And later in that chapter, in verse 25, it says, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncircumcised? So in the same chapter, we see he's a Jewish name and a Roman citizen. So what we do is see we see Saul uh, is a Jewish name, and we're going to see that in a a couple verses here that I'm going to point out. But that Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name, and that's going to make a whole lot of sense when he was challenged and and, uh, pointed towards by the Holy Spirit to go and preach to the Gentile nation, the Roman nation. And so his autobiography continues here in Philippians chapter three. It says, though I myself, this is Paul speaking, sharing a little bit of his testimony, pre-Christ, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So the tribe of Benjamin is huge here. So the tribe of Benjamin is one of the tribes of Israel, the 12 sons, and out of that tribe comes the first king, king, of, king, first king of Israel, King Saul. Well, Saul was named after, very likely named after, the first king of Israel, King Saul, and Paul's zealousness as a Pharisee also comes out again here in his proclamation of being blameless before the law. So Paul, in his pre-Christ state, was essentially saying if works uh, counted for anything, then I'm a shoe in salvation. See, Galatians 1, 13, 14 continues on here, his autobiography. and says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He was on a mission to destroy Jesus' church because he did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He was holding to every single law. He was zealous for them. This is actually amazing to see how and know Paul is considering what what he writes about later in the text of scripture. To know this is where he came from. And to know what he is going to write here in the next couple chapters as we study them over the next couple months. So again, we see this conversion now in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. We see Paul changed and says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... Please remember that line. We're going to look at it again in here in a second. But And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Then we come to Acts 26. This is essentially Paul's testimony as he's sharing it with the king. Sorry, I'm just bouncing like crazy here with a bunch of verses, but they're going to make a whole lot of sense here in a second. So this is Paul sharing his testimony to the king. I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, so this is who he's talking to, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. See, this is the author of the, the book of Ephesians, Paul, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a Roman citizen, a former trained and educated Pharisee and persecutor of the church, now transformed by the power of and grace and calling of God to go and preach about the forgiveness of sins through the faith in Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection to the Gentile people. This is our author, Paul. He was also stoned, flogged, shipwrecked, and imprisoned for proclaiming Jesus as God. This is Paul, one of the greatest servants of Jesus in the scripture. He actually, by his death, had penned 13 of the New Testament books. We are one word into the text today. All right, so let's let's take the the next word that's highlighted in this text that I highlighted first one is Paul, an apostle. What does that word mean? Well, apostle comes from the Greek derived from the Greek word apostolos, which means one who is sent off, one who is sent off. Mark chapter three says, and he Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him. And this is really interesting, those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also called apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. So out of this text, we see the apostle is appointed and desired by Jesus, to be with Jesus, sent to preach Jesus, and given authority by Jesus. So appointed and desired by Jesus, to be with Jesus, sent to preach Jesus, and given authority by Jesus. The authority here is key to understand. When I send my kids out to do something, like I want you to go move that box and put it over that, that, that table over there. And then someone sees them, hey kids, what are you guys doing? Oh, my dad told me to do this. And then they look at who their dad is and they go, oh yeah, you can continue to go because look how big he is. Uh, but... That's, that's size authority, right? Authority is passed on to the one giving it. And and so they can, they can, they can say that by the authority of my dad, that's why I'm doing this, but that's just size, right? The God size authority is much bigger and much grander and much holier. Trust me on that, much holier. And Jesus appoints, sends and gives authority. He's the one that's granting the apostles authority. The authority in this case isn't man's authority, but God's authority, and in this text, that authority is over all things, even the spiritual realm, and we're going to get into that as we work through this um, book. There's more to learn about apostleship, which you can actually find at the end of Acts chapter 1. Remember, Judas had killed himself because he kissed Jesus, like just read the story but in Acts 1 the disciples get together and they're trying to replace Judas here in this text and you can learn some more things from this text in regards to apostleship which is really really interesting but at the same time if you're not studying the word of God it's going to be a little bit confusing because in that text it says you must have walked so this is an apostle you must have walked with Jesus from the time of his baptism through his death and his resurrection and be called. So how in the world can Paul be an apostle then? Because he wasn't even a Christian yet. So we have to go back into the Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 15 through 16 again, that really key and pivotal text of his conversion. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul was called by Jesus, was set apart by Jesus. Jesus was revealed to him on the road to Damascus, and he was given the task to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. Those are the qualifications of an apostle right there. So we ha- we, with that we define Apostle, what is an apostle? That is an apostle. So we have Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Like I mentioned last week, regarding the Lord, like trying to define the Lord, that's a big task that's gonna take eternity to define who he is. And the same thing goes with Jesus. Actually, at the end of the book of John, the book of John, uh, some of the disciples closed this and said, if we were to write every single thing that Jesus had done on this earth, it would literally fill the oceans with the books. And so how do we begin to define Jesus? But what I wanna do is actually show um, The what these names mean, but before, let me just give you a snapshot of who Jesus is. And John 14:6 is the best way to think, best summary of them. Says, "I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. But through Jesus, He's the only way. No other way. This side of heaven can we get to Jesus or get to the Father? Just like in our last text last week in Psalm twenty-three, we talked about Jesus being the gate into the pasture. It's the same thing over and over and over again, just saying the same thing in different ways, trying to help us understand and get to the point. It's He is the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but through Him. He is the gate to eternity. So I do want to point, I want to just show you that, but I also want to point to you to what these names mean. I found it very interesting. When you're studying the text of scripture, it's really important to find the key words that continue to repeat themselves. So there's some repeating that's going on here. And the name Christ is actually given 11 times. The name Jesus only once in chapter 421. The name Lord Jesus Christ together is mentioned six times. The name Lord by itself is mentioned 15 times, but Christ is mentioned 25 times. So what is Paul trying to awaken in us by mentioning Christ 25 times in the book of Ephesians? So as we get to chapter 6, we realize there's a warfare, and I've already touched on it already today, that we have authority over. There's a warfare going on in the heavenly realms, and Paul here is nailing down the point that Jesus is the authority of all things. The authority of all things. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the one that is eternal, the one that is omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing. He is everything. The one that reigns supreme and has the authority over the realm of the heavenlies. The Bible itself is a beautiful teacher if we just would read it because it explains what Messiah means in John one 40, forty-one. It says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, the Christ one. Then again in chapter 4, verse 25, when the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So Christ is not the last name of Jesus, but the very title he holds. Remember earlier that I said names mean something. The name Jesus means the one who saves. Paul here is making a point. He is saying that he is the apostle of the one who saves, the Messiah. And then in verse 2, we see Lord in front, meaning supreme in authority. So essentially, anytime you see Lord Jesus Christ, you can actually interpret that Lord, which means supreme in authority, the one who saves Messiah, anointed one. Supreme in authority, the one who saves Messiah, anointed one. Are you feeling like you're in school yet? Well, you're in school. Just hate to bring it to you. <laughs> this is a gym. Uh, but you are the church, and we want to we wanna learn these things together. So we discovered who Paul is, what it takes to be an apostle, what the name Christ, Jesus, and Lord mean. But let's look at our next word to bring clarity. This is where uh, I got really excited in my, in my study of this um, and because that next word is that we want to cover is the will of God. Paul, an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What in the world does the will of God mean? Right? As I studied through this, we discovered that uh, the will of God has two meanings and it's really important to discover why, why the two meanings behind this and what is the meaning in this text at, at this moment for Paul. And so the two meanings are the decree will of God, the will of decree, and the will of command. So the will, will of decree is actually irresistible. Okay, irresistible. So when God decrees something, nothing can change that. Not even the gates of hell. Nothing can change the decreed will of God. It's like you trying to stand on a train tracks when a train is coming full speed at you and going, I got this. It's impossible to stop this. Impossible. That's the will of decree, right? The will of command let me explain that. Can you guys just all stand, stand for me for a second? Oh, that just touches my heart. You all obeyed my command, suckers. <laughs> Go ahead and sit down. All right, so you obeyed my command. That's great. Thank you for that. I really appreciate you obeying me. All right, all right. Uh, that, could you have disobeyed me? <laughs> yes, of course you could have. But you didn't suckers. All right, but so I don't know what else I can ask right now. Bring me more licorice. All right. Um, So yes, the will of decree, impossible to stop. The will of command, can you disobey God? Yes, of course you can. That's why we have sin, that's where sin comes into the picture. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin. We have disobeyed him, but the cool thing is the hard truth of all this. And it is hard truth because man so God decreed me to do something. That's a hard truth. And friends, it is for your good. It's for your good that God decrees you to do something. Because when God decrees something, it will be irresistible and good. Irresistible and good. Why? Because God is good. God is just. God is merciful. God is perfect. See, God in His mercy and grace wills us to fall in love with Him, he, He's the one that changes our hearts. So whether it's the will of command or the will of decree, God's will is perfect and good and ought to be followed. So the commands in the scripture are good and meant to be good for us and for his glory. The problem is we struggle with some of the commands when our hearts get in the way, don't we? I know I do struggle this week to obey God's commands. Your pastor, your lead pastor disobeyed. And I'm sure every one of us could raise our hands and probably say, I disobeyed too. Because we're all sinners. See, following your heart towards these things will only leave us in folly. In a state of living as the fool. For example, having sex with your boyfriend or a girlfriend outside of marriage, telling lies, being filled with drink rather than the Spirit of God. These are just some of the commands God leaves in his scripture for us, and they're good for us. They're good for us. Would you turn your Bibles? I'm going to have to get the glasses on, but turn your Bibles to Jam, uh, the book of James, chapter 1. It's closer to the end, it looks around like that. In my Bible, it's uh, page 1011, all right? Book of James, chapter one, and we're gonna read verses 13 through 15. When it comes to obeying God's law, we can't blame anybody except you. It says, let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Obeying God's command will go good for you. It will go good for you. So the will of God is not something to mess with, but you can rebel against it for sure. It just won't go good. So the will of decree, no chance in changing that. When God decrees something, it will take place. When God commands something, we are called to obey and abide in him. Our next highlighted word is saints. Who are they? can we be a saint? I actually love this language, uh, not just because we find it in Scripture, but because of what it means and calls us to. See, the problem is in the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has hijacked this word and added some qualifications that are actually not in Scripture to this word saint. That's why they have saints in their church um, and not everybody can be a saint. And the qualifications, the first two are actually things that you and I can Uh, Practice. We just talked about abiding in God's will of command. And so the first qualification of sainthood in in the Catholic Church is the person must show Christian virtues, at least to an ordinary extent, before and after offering their life. Okay, that sounds like the road of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. The second qualification says they must have a reputation for holiness at least after their death. All right, so when after they're dead, people are talking like good things about them. And the third one is completely added to, to, to their rules rather than looking at Scripture. It says they must have performed a miracle. So in Scripture, we are defined as sinners, sufferers, and saints. That's what our definition is those three and get used to that language. I don't use it a lot, but we are sinners, sufferers, and saints. There's a really great book that I got this language out of. It's uh, called Cross Talk by Mike Emlett, if you're interested. It's a really, really great book, resource to, to look into. But, but that uh, sinners, sufferers, and saints. We have all fallen short of God's perfection. That sinner is really easy to understand that we are a fall short. Right? And that's Romans 3.23 and Romans 3.10. No one is righteous, not even one. So really no chance of holiness this side of heaven, impossible. This is us as sinners, but we are also referred to as sufferers and saints. Sufferers in that we might stand for Jesus and say no to the flesh. Do you understand that? Stand for Jesus and say no to the flesh. That means that's your sufferer. Let me put it to you practically so you really get this because it's really important. I, as a follower of Jesus, want to suffer by saying no to pornography. I want to suffer for saying no to getting drunk. I want to suffer to saying no to lying. I want to suffer to saying no to fill in the blank of God's command. I want to say no to these things. And I'm suffering because I'm not, my flesh isn't getting it. So I'm suffering for the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's suffering. There's also different types of suffering, like physical ailments, like whether it be a broken leg or cancer. And we have people in this church body that are battling these things right now. They are suffering. They're sufferers. And how you deal with that illness or broken leg, are you suffering for Jesus? Are you suffering for his namesake? Are you using the things that God has given you to glorify him in your weakness? And that's hard. Like I sat across a really great friend of mine and her and her husband and Jody and I were sitting on the couch. They were on the couch and we were crying with one another because she was battling breast cancer. And I looked at them and it was the hardest thing. I was like, God, you really want me to say this? And I, and I was like, okay, I need to submit to what God is telling me. And I was like, I just looked at him. Are you willing to suffer for God through this? Like, could this be, could have God given you cancer for the sake of your neighbor? I don't know. I'm just here, but could it be? Could we be suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ? For his name's sake?" And that was a really hard thing. The husband came to me like years later and said, man, when you said that, that was difficult for me to hear. And I I was like, I know. Like I I would not have received that well either. But I really believe that's the truth. And he's like, yeah, I'm so thankful that you shared it because we started to live that way and we had so many opportunities to share Jesus. So are you a sufferer for him? There's also the last word there, a saint, and we, and that's the one we want to highlight. We also, saints of his, what does it mean to be a saint? Well, it means to, that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, following in his footsteps, by his, the will of command, following him. Dr. Tim Mackey put it this way, God's divine heavenly counsel was given to those who trust in the Messiah, and of course, Jesus, the human Messiah, has been exalted over the divine counsel of to rule heaven and earth. And that same status has been granted to his people. Therefore, we are invited into the proximity to God's presence to share in his holy status. Do you get that? So that's Dr. Tim Mackie. Let's see what the Bible says. Revelation 3:21. Such an amazing verse as I was reading through my the scripture a couple months ago, I came across this verse again. And it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. You need to slow down when you hear that. Jesus says, If you conquer, if you abide in my commands, I'm going to change your heart. You abide in me. I'm going to invite you to sit on my throne. It's like, What? That's crazy. And Jesus himself says, finishes that verse, it says, As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Just like the father invited me to sit on the throne, I too am going to invite you, my saints, to sit on my throne. That's so such good news. In Revelation 5.10 it says, We are also called a kingdom of priests kingdom of priests. You are a saint, consecrated, dedicated to be holy as God is holy, a set apart one. You are set apart for the work that he has created for you from the beginning of time into eternity, into his throne room to sit with him. This is our loving Savior. In all of Paul's letters, he refers to Christians 39 times and nine times in this letter as saints. In 411, he calls some pastors and shepherds to equip the saints, for the work of ministry. That's why I'm defining all these words because I want to equip you for the work of ministry that you have that God has given you. The local church. You as a saint are called to take on the moral character of God to take on his transcended purity, to be changed from one degree of holiness to the next in 2 Corinthians 3.18. You are a chosen people, saved, to become holy and blameless. In chapter 4.24 it says you are created to put on the new self. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Stop, start saying, stop saying yes to your flesh, start suffering for the namesake and be like him. I would do a disservice to all of us if we didn't talk about application at this point. The application for these first three chapters that we're going to cover in the book of Ephesians, and I want to just point out to you right now, is to receive. Receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Receive it. Remember what he has done for you. Remember his love and his, his acceptance of you, his child, and his, his drawing you into his, his kingdom and remind one another daily about it. That's what I want you to go and talk about on coffee and for lunches and dinners and share what Jesus is doing in your life. And if Jesus isn't working, seemingly not working in your life, then talk about it. Be open with one another and remind each other of the goodness of him. So our next word is faithful. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is the calling of the saint to be faithful and to be faith-filled. What does it mean to be faithful? It means to have complete trust in someone. Like my fleshy nature, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. You already are obeying me. (laughs) Right? I want you to trust me now right? But here, this is going to be weird to say. And actually, I don't want you to. I want you to trust Jesus. Don't trust me. I'm going to fail you miserably. Remember, I'm a sinner too. And I'm trying to suffer for him. And I want the best of my heart to be a saint. And so can you help me point to him as I'm going to help you point to him? Let's put our faith and our trust in him. I say this to my kids all the time when it's like I can see the fear of man in them. And I'm like, kids, stop fearing me. Don't fear me, fear Jesus. Follow him. That's gonna be the most important thing for you to do, ever do. Yes, I want you to obey me as your father, but don't fear me. I want you to fear Jesus. Surrender your life to him. And that's the same word I have for you as the church. Don't put your faith and your trust in me. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Thank you. Say it louder. Amen. Amen. We're going to have some fun in this church, man. All right. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, He remains faithful. It is him who remains faithful. This is an attribute of God that does not change. He he is always faithful. When he promised Abraham a son, God was faithful and brought him Isaac. When God promised to bring the nation of Israel out of 420 years of bondage, he did it. When God promised Eve that her heir would crush the head of the serpent and defeat sin and death, he did it. There are hundreds of prophetic words throughout the scripture that have all been fulfilled. And there are some yet to be fulfilled like his return. And if he is faithful and he he fulfills his promises, we can trust in that. In Hebrews 10, 23, it says he is faithful in his promises. So in all of the promises of scripture, we can be assured that they will take place because God is faithful. We are called to endure and press on, looking to the one who is faithful. Our last words for this intro sermon are grace and peace. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Grace is to receive a gift that you do not deserve. You don't deserve it. That's what grace is. Uh, it's someone handing you something, you're going like, what is this for? Oh, no reason I feel like I want to give it to you. It's like, really? Like I don't. You, don't des- you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything for it. Someone just gifted you something. That is grace. It also can be translated as favor. God wants to give you favor. Uh, the next word, peace, can also be translated as rest. So God not only wants to give you favor, he wants to give you rest. These are beautiful words. Receive the free gift of favor and rest from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we started with Paul and I mentioned names are important at times. Thousands of years thousands thousand years before Paul there was a people that tried to make a name for themselves. And they gathered a whole bunch of bricks and they made a tower tried to reach to heaven they tried to make a name for themselves they played the fool And God dispersed them. God came down and gave new languages and they couldn't understand each other so they couldn't continue to build so they all scattered around the nations. Do you see? That's exactly what God told Adam and Eve to do. To go out into all the nations, multiply, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the land. And our desire... In our people is to what to get together and just build a tower to make our name known. And our mission statement is not to make our name known; is to make Jesus' name known. There was another man named Abram that God decreed, another one that changed his name. And was going to give a new name to Abraham. He was going to give him a nation of people, a land, and a blessing. Church, again, we need to be awakened to the story of God. Paul, in his letter, is going to be proclaiming to a nation of people who their God is, that they can join in true rest, that they can become one as a people and find favor and rest in a promised land. The grand meta narrative story is continuing, and it constantly is retelling itself. This is our story as well. Are you going to try to make a name for yourself this week? Or are you going to proclaim Jesus and find your rest and your favor in him? Just like Abraham was called to sacrifice to the Lord, the difference was Jesus, Jesus like Abraham was called to sacrifice to the Lord. The difference was that Abraham took a lamb and Jesus laid his life down as the lamb as a substitute for us. Jesus has called us to remember his sacrifice on the cross by way of communion, by way of celebrating all that he has done. This is a joyful table to come to. But when you come to the table to receive the drink and the bread, do some some work in your heart. How have I sought my kingdom? How have I chosen my name before Christ? And surrender it to Jesus before you come. And then when you come, know that it is cleansed. You are cleansed from all unrighteousness, it says in 1 John 1, 1.9. You're cleansed from everything. Simply confess it to him. And he wants to renew you eternally. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, it says in the word that you will be saved, so come and celebrate with us as we take communion. But if you have not yet expressed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please just refrain. It does give us instruction in the Bible that if you take this wrongly, that it actually has caused some people to be sick and actually die. So please, it is, it is for the church and it's for those who surrender. So, Ryan, why don't you come on up? Let me just pray, close, this, close our time, and then we're going to worship and sing some songs. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are in control. And Lord, I pray that we as your church that we will surrender our wants, our needs, our desires for your namesake and for your glory. Help us be sufferers for your name, Jesus, as you have suffered for us. Be with us now as we sing and rejoice and remember that you forgive those who confess, that you take away and wipe all iniquity, all sin, and you cleanse us purely and make us whole again. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing promises. In this we trust in your name. Amen.